This episode is the 31st in a series of 100 on financial accounting. So let's pick up where we left off with the cash flow from operations to total liabilities ratio. Remember, that ratio is equal to cash flow from operations over the, your average total liabilities. This ratio resembles the metric for assessing short-term liquidity risk, uh, with the exception that the denominator includes all liabilities. The number of times that earnings cover interest charges also measures uh, long-term liquidity risk. The interest coverage ratio is equal to income before interest and income tax expenses divided by interest expense. This ratio attempts to indicate the relative protection that operating profitability provides to bondholders, permitting them to assess the likelihood that a firm will fail to meet required interest payments. IB analysts typically view an interest coverage ratio below 3 um, as risky. And what is the interest coverage ratio? Well, the equation for that is going to be your interest coverage ratio is equal to net income before interest and income taxes divided by interest expense. If a firm's bond indentures require periodic repayments of principal on long-term liabilities, the ratio denominator may include these repayments, in which case the ratio is called the fixed charges coverage ratio. So let's move on to accounts receivable and revenue recognition. Investors usually evaluate a firm based on its earnings. Here, IBMP analysts are concerned with how well the current period's earnings reflect the economic value added by the firm during the period. Uh, the likely amount of future economic value added from the firm's operating activities, the latitude that managers have to measure earnings under generally accepted accounting principles, uh, evidence that managers have taken advantage of this latitude, and whether current earnings contain unusual or non-recurrent income items that, that, that the investors should downplay or ignore when valuing the firm. While the discussion in this podcast thus far has assumed that generally accepted accounting principles present the only avenue for firm management uh, to manipulate valuation. That is not true. Management can also cook the books, so to speak, by making estimates in the application of accounting principles and timing transactions to allow recognition of non-recurring items and earnings. To, the, to see how this is so, we can view the income recognition principles. Um, yeah, let, let's review the income recognition principles that were covered uh, earlier in this podcast. Uh, take a run-of-the-mill manufacturing firm. Most firms in this sector acquire production facilities to permit them to engage in manufacturing, uh, acquire raw materials for use in producing products, uh, use labor and other services to transform the raw material into a saleable product, identify customers, deliver products, await cash collection from customers, collect cash from customers as well, and refund cash for return products. Or return products, I'm sorry. The amount of income the firm recognizes from these activities is equal um, to the difference between the cash received from sales minus the cost of goods sold and labor. The excess of cash inflows over cash outflows measures the economic value added by these operations. Now for the regulatory uh, portion. The Financial Accounting Standards Board uh, has guidelines for allocating expenses to accounting periods, and here uh, firms have to match expenses as closely as possible with revenues. This way, uh, income matches inputs and outputs and the firm matches revenues with costs. The remaining question, then, is when to recognize revenue, right? To answer the, the revenue recognition timing question, uh, the generally accepted accounting principles set two hurdles. First, uh, the firm must have performed all or a substantial portion of the services it expects to provide or, in the case of product warranties, uh, can forecast the cost of providing the future services with reasonable precision. 
Second, the firm must have received cash, a receivable, or some other asset capable of reasonably um, precise measurement. Or, if the firm has offered to let the customer return the product for a refund, the firm can estimate the returns with reasonable precision. Satisfying the first criterion uh, for revenue recognition means that a firm can estimate the total expected cash flows related to an operating activity. If a firm cannot estimate the total expected cash flows, it will not know the amount of expenses to match against revenue and will not know the amount of income. Satisfying the second criterion uh, for revenue recognition means that a firm can estimate the amount of expected cash inflows from customers. If a firm cannot estimate expected cash inflows, it will not know the amount of revenues and thus the amount of income. As a matter of fact, in the Staff Accounting Bulletin Number 101, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission added more criteria uh, to the revenue recognition process. Here, persuasive evidence of an arrangement must exist, delivery must have occurred or services must have been performed, the seller's price uh, to the buyer must be fixed or determinable, and collectability must be reasonably assured. The second, third, and fourth criteria are similar to the two criteria set out by the Financial Accounting Standards Board. The new dimension uh, is the existence of an agreement, right? So the agreement can take the form of a contract, uh, prior dealings with a particular customer, or customary business practices by a firm in its industry. The arrangement sets forth the firm's responsibilities and its customers' uh, its responsibilities to its customers with respect to the nature and delivery of the of goods and services, uh, the risk assumed by the buyer and seller, and the timing of cash payments uh, and similar factors. And that concludes this 31st session uh, out of 100 on financial accounting, not really at the possibility, of course, of bonus sessions.